1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. For no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But these all worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. I pray, Father, as we look into this passage of Scripture this morning, I pray that as we uh, endeavor to teach and preach the word of truth as it is given here for us, that you give wisdom and understanding in thy truth. pray that the Spirit of God, who is the author of this blessed book, would give us understanding and open our minds to receive it, that you would be glorified. Lord, we do pray for being in our midst who uh, have, are, are, are without the Spirit, have never truly been born again. I expect the Spirit of God would reveal that this morning. And uh, they've come to that understanding and, 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 and uh, the knowledge of the truth and be born again. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message this morning is Understanding Spiritual Gifts. And as we... Enter this section of the book, particularly the next three chapters. Next, yeah, these three chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, have a lot to do with spiritual gifts. We must keep in mind, though, that the context in which this letter is written. You're talking 54 to 59 AD. Okay? Much of the New Testament has not been written yet. You know, we think, we don't, we all, when we read the Bible, we don't often think about the fact that, well, you know, we may be reading something that, well, Revelation wasn't written yet, or Ephesians wasn't written yet, or Colossians wasn't written yet. That was the time period of this, this letter. And the Bible had not been compiled into one book like we have. You know, there may have been some books of the Bible in circulation, but the canonization, as it's called, which, which means basically, you know, the books being fixed as to what is inspired writings did not happen till between 200 and 360 A.D., somewhere in there from what we can conclude. So a Bible was not really put together like we have it till like 200 to 360 A.D. You know, they had these letters in circulation that the churches, and it was the churches uh, like ours of that day that decided which Letters were inspired and which were not, which belonged in the Bible and which did not. That responsibility was given to the churches. The Jews took care of the Old Testament. They were given the Old Testament. To them was given the oracles of God, Romans, what Romans 10 tells us. 
So the Old Testament was given to the Jews. The New Testament was given to the churches. Not to Bible publishing companies. And so they were the ones that decided what belonged and what not. So to understand that this time of this writing, there were still apostolic signs being practiced by the apostles. Because the apostles were still living. Many of them. Not all. They have already been martyred. So the gifts here in verses 8 through 10 really are apostolic. As we've noticed from the first 11 chapters... Uh, was misusing spiritual gifts. They were being used as symbols of self-exaltation and pride. And there were many, I have done it, unquote. It's all about I, what I have done, my experience. It's not what does the Bible say. You know, you can give them scripture after scripture to, to prove them wrong from the scriptures, but they'll say, how can you say it's not a God when I've done it? And the gentleman I was talking to at that time, I said, Jehovah's Witnesses do it too. The Roman Catholics do it too. See, experiences are very subjective. Your experience is a presentation of spiritual gifts. So first of all, understand spiritual things. In verses 1 and 2, Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away under these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Now, the word dumb means doesn't mean they were stupid. Well, idols are stupid. Uh, you know, but they're dumb. They can't speak. They can't hear. They don't, you know, they, they, they cried to Baal for, for all day, you know. And, and finally, Elijah mocked him and said, well, maybe you need to shout louder. He might be sleeping, you know. Maybe you need to wake him up. No, he's dumb. Idols are dumb. And Paul says, you need to, you, you should not be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. You, should, you, you need to know. You need to have knowledge of these things. Knowledge is intelligence or understanding. One commentator said this, quote, Christianity recommends itself to the human intelligence. It is a common sense religion, unquote. It makes common sense. You know, it is common sense to believe that God created the world. How else did it get here? It's common sense to understand that men are sinners by nature. All you have to do is listen to the news or read the newspaper. Of course, nobody reads the newspaper. Read your news online. And, and if you have any common sense, you'll, understand, you'll, you'll come to the conclusion, you know, men are wicked. That's what the Bible declares. You know, watch children left to themselves. And you'll easily, quickly come to the conclusion that children left to themselves will bring their mother to shame. A sane man will have to say that mankind is wicked. I mean, it's just common sense. And the key to understanding spiritual gifts or anything in the Bible is knowledge of the Bible. Again, another one commentator said, quote, Ignorance is the breeding place for vicious extremes, heresy and fanaticism. Both of these had sprung up in Corinth, and both were the result of ignorance. Unquote. You know, the Bible uses this, this, Paul uses this quite often when writing to the churches in the New Testament that he didn't want them to be ignorant. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10.1, again he said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Don't be ignorant of the examples of Israel. 
In chapter 14, verse 38, he says this, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. You know, a lot of ignorance is willful choice. A lot of people are ignorant because they want to be ignorant. In 1 Timothy 4.13, he says, But I would ha- not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others have no hope. They don't want you to be ignorant about what happens after a, per- after a Christian dies. We do have hope. There is the resurrection. You know, Peter spoke of this in 2 Peter 3, in verses 5 and then in verse 8. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And then in verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that, day, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You know, people were saying, you know, we've all we've heard for years and thousands of years about the, the coming of the Lord, but he hasn't come, so he must not be coming. Peter said, just remember, don't be ignorant of the fact that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years to us. God doesn't measure time like you and I do. So don't be ignorant of that. And he says they, this they are willingly ignorant of. And again, most ignorance is choice. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, speaking of himself, he says, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. But you know what? Ignorant. Unbelief is a choice. It's a choice. He was not just saying that, well, I didn't know better. No, he was saying, I was unbeliever. I refused to believe it. I didn't want to believe it. And he was very vehement against the truth. In Acts chapter 13, verse 27, it says, For they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew not him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they fulfilled them in condemning him. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus tell them who he was or did he not? He said before Abraham was, I am. He was telling him, them, I am God in your presence. And it says they knew him not. Why did they not know him? Some knew him. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet the Pharisees did not know him. Why did they not know him? Because they didn't want to know him. It was willing ignorance. Willful ignorance. Romans 10.3 bears that out. But they being ignorance of God's righteousness, and here's the key, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves. But I want you to notice, as we think about understanding spiritual things, that it is God's desire for us to know him. It is God's desire for us. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know him. You may believe on the name of the Son of God. God wants us to know him. It's God's desire that we know him. In 1 John 5, 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. 
This is the true God and eternal life. See, God wants us to know Him. It's God's desire for us to know Him, to have understanding of Him. In John 4 and verse 23, when Jesus is speaking to that Samaritan woman, He said, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh, He seeketh such to worship Him. God is seeking after, He's desirous that you and I, that men and women, know Him and understand Him. When Paul was preaching in Athens to those who said, you know, gave, uh, talked about the unknown God in, in, in Acts chapter 17 and in verses 23 uh, through 29 of Acts 17, he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I find an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to, notice, he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for dwell on all the face of the earth. He hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of his habitation, that they should seek after the Lord, Seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, notice, though he be not very far from every one of us, for it's in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God is like unto gold or silver or stone given by man's devices. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. See, God wants us to know him. He's given us life. It's in him we live and move and have our being. It is he that keeps the world intact. Colossians 1.17 says, By him all things consist... And, and, you know, we've been hearing for about doomsday for generations. When I was a teenager, your age, Ryan, they, they were talking about glaciers all the way to New York. And now they're saying the glaciers are all melted. I just read yesterday, and they're afraid that the, this one glacier is melting because the water underneath is a certain temperature. So the glacier is melting, and it could raise the sea levels three feet, which is going to flood. Some low-lying areas. Just another doomsday. To stir people up. You know what they forget is, you know what what I think of when I hear that kind of stuff? Psalm 2, it says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And I think God's going to go, You see what those stupid human beings are saying again? Because they just don't understand that it is I that keeps all things held together. I've set the bounds of the sea that it shall not pass a certain point. I think it's Jeremiah that talks about that. You know, God's just laughing. You see, it is illful ignorance against God. It is also unscientific. Because science requires evidence. And the evidence points to a creator that made heaven and earth. See, man doesn't seek after God. Man does not want God to rule over him. 
Romans 1 very clearly points it out. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. That word, the, the idea of holding the truth and unrighteousness is suppressing the truth. They want to hold it down because they don't want the truth to, to, be, ex, to be expressed or exposed. Because that, when they knew, that which may be known of God is manifest, notice this, in them. It's manifest in them. Look at chapter 2. Now think about that thought, manifest in them. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, For when the Gentiles, that's referring to the unsaved, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law in themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. See, it's manifest in them, and they do by nature. Unsaved people will do by nature things contained in the law of God because it's ingrained in their conscience and in their spirit. Their spirit has a, a compelling, is a compelling force to a desire to worship something, and their conscience tells them, you know what? It's not right to steal. It's not right to murder because it's manifest in them because they are created by God. It bears witness. You know, the problem isn't that God has not revealed himself. It is that we must, in repentance, seek to know him. And so, if we're going to understand spiritual things, we must in repentance, that's the second point here, must in repentance, under number one, must in repentance seek to know him. If you notice in verse 3 of chapter 12, it says this, Wherefore give you understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. You know, many give lip service to God, or Christ, but in everyday life, they give no consideration to him in their conduct. You know, I said to a person here not too long ago, you, know, you say you're saved, and you told, talk about this and that and the other thing, but never told us about Christ. I remember years ago, when I was still farming, we had this friends, and, and there was a milk tester and I knew this milk tester from when I was a kid growing up. He was really a neighbor of ours. But anyway, and they were talking, he was talking, telling these friends of ours that we worked with about another farmer that I knew who went to a church in the area. And he was telling, and this, he said he was telling me about this, this, this guy, and he said he talks about having faith in God and all these kind of things, but he worries about everything. He's the biggest worry word you'd ever see in your life. He said, I told him one day, and this is an unsaved man. He said, I told him one day, you don't have any faith at all. Or you wouldn't worry about everything like you do. Kind of a sad commentary when an unsaved man would tell you that. You know, we can give lip service and turn around by our actions and our relationship with others. Curse the Lord. And cause him to be detested or disdained by other people. 
You know, Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I you know, Hebrews eleven six says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, if we're going to understand spiritual truth, we have to, in repentance, seek to know him. We must diligently seek him. That means to search out, to investigate, to crave. You know, if a guy, let's say a guy comes to see me, he says, Pastor... I really need help. I'm in trouble. My life's a mess. I need, I need to get my life straightened out. Yeah, I've been a thief. I mean, I, I'm wanted for robbery in South Carolina. I, I, I really need help. I say, okay. So I have a Bible study with him. And we talk about repentance. Repentance means that you change your mind about God and your sin, and you're willing to turn from your sin, and you're willing to make restitution. Now, what does that mean? That means you're willing to go back to South Carolina and make your robbery right. Oh, well, well, yeah, I, I, just, I just wanted... What he wanted was help out of his trouble. He didn't want to change his life. And surrender it to God. That's not repentance. You know, a lot of people want help out of the troubles. But they don't want to accept. You see, see, repentance means we are willing to turn from our sin and self and accept the consequences of our sins. Which means restitution. See, some people have this phony idea that if God forgives us, we are free from the consequences of our sins. That's not taught anywhere in the Bible. When David sinned with Bathsheba, though he wasn't put to death, there were severe consequences to his life. There was a child died, his house was divided, the sword, you know, the, there was a civil war. All that was the result of David's sin. And David said, thou art justified when thou judgest. He acknowledged that, that God, you were just, and how this all shook down because it was me that brought this upon my family. I remember some years ago, and this is why we were in, this is in the early 2000s or the late 90s or early 2000s, there was, there was a trial for, she was called the Axe Lady. And I think it was in Texas where her and, a, and an accomplice murdered some people with an axe, chopped them with an axe. And supposedly, this lady got saved while in prison waiting her sentencing. And a friend, good friend of mine uh, heard her give her testimony uh, on air, TV or something or over the Internet. Uh, he had seen it. And he said, you know, she had a, she had a pretty pretty good testimony. Seemed authentic. And because of that, there were many Christian leaders who thought she should be left off and not face the death penalty. Sorry. That again, that's, that's not taught in the Bible. You see, 
the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we seeking God just for him to give us a better life? Or are you craving a closer fellowship with him? So that you might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That's what Paul sought. He wasn't sought, seeking to him to have a better life because he certainly didn't live a good life by worldly standards. He was seeking to have fellowship with God and to be made conformable unto his death. Which means he was willing to die daily. And just about every day of his life, Paul faced death. See, he wasn't looking for a good life for himself because it wasn't about him. So the question is, is your Christian life about you or him? You know, many professing Christians are ignorant of Bible knowledge because their Christian life is about them. It's not about their relationship with God. It's about how they look. It's about a better life for them. They read the Bible to help them, not to learn and grow in their relationship with God. They are seeking for them a better life. You know, in the first several centuries of Christian history, this idea was foreign. Because when people were saved in the first several hundred years of Christianity and were baptized, their lives were marked from that point on. They lived in an empire that worshipped the Caesars. And they were then looked upon as a threat to the Roman government and were persecuted and hounded and and, and tortured for their faith. So when they got saved, they weren't looking for a better life. Many lost their lives. So the question we ask ourselves is, is are we seeking him for temporal benefit? Or do we really crave to know God? That's what Hebrews 11 means. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him, that crave after God. So to really understand spiritual things requires a turning to God, and that is a turning away from self. Secondly, and I need to hurry. If we're going to understand spiritual gifts, we need to understand the purpose of spiritual gifts. Notice again in verse 3, it says, Wherefore I give you understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. You know, having spiritual gifts, again, having spiritual gifts is not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about what you love. It's about what he loves. He loves your fellowship. He loves your worship. And where do we most closely fellowship and worship him? That's the other thing that he loves. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, John says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And you know, 
And I really believe, I come to believe, that John sent this inspired letter to a church. You know, history tells us he was a pastor at Ephesus before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And in chapter 2, verse 19, in that same epistle, it says, they went out from us. They went out from us. What do people leave or go out of? A church. A church. So John says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. I believe that's church fellowship. And with the Father. Our fellowship is also with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, a church, a church is to a place where we fellowship with the Lord, we worship the Lord, we are examined by the Lord. And that's why many don't want to be members of a New Testament church. They don't want the examination. But my Bible tells me that the Lord Jesus is walking in the midst of his churches. And he's inspecting. He's examining. You know the way he examines this? Today, through the preaching of his word. He's going to examine you. If you go to a church that doesn't examine you through the preaching of your word, you need to leave it. Because you're not going to grow. I mean, what do we give our children in school? To see if they're growing? Tests. Exams. You know what those trials and temptations are? Tests and exams. You know what the preaching of the Word of God ought to do to us? Test us and examine us. That's what it should do. You know, I was reading a book recently on prayer. And the writer of the book says that real prayer is worship. It's not just asking God for things. But you know, a lot of our prayers, and I was convicted about that, a lot of my praying is asking for things. Prayer needs to be worship. But we might seek Him, know Him, get His mind. And the purpose of spiritual gifts is the glory and exaltation of Christ. It's not, woo, look at the gifts I have. Or if it wasn't for me, this church would fold up. Yeah, when we get that attitude, we might as well fold it up. When we get that attitude, the Lord will be on the outside of the door like he was in the church of Laodicea, knocking, trying to get in. You see, spiritual gifts are the work of the Holy Spirit. And what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Well, John 14, verse 26, and John 16, verses 13 and 14, very clearly, the Lord defined what the purpose of the Spirit would be. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in, my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. 
Again, in chapter 16, verse 13 to 14, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And again, in our text, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 5 and 6, it says, And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. You see, the purpose of gifts is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And then thirdly, we have to understand the presentation of the spiritual gifts. I want you to notice verses 4, 8, 9, and 11. Verse 4 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Verse 9, To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And then again in verse 11, But these all worketh that one and self same Spirit, dwelling to every man severally as he will. Now there's a phrase that's repeated in all those verses. It is the same Spirit. The same Spirit. So all these are given by the same Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that gives the gifts. It's not my natural abilities or my education or, or whatever. No, it's of the Spirit of God. And so if they're going to be of the Spirit of God, there's two things that are necessary for anyone to have spiritual gifts. Number one, we have to know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. You know, and that simply means you must be born again. John 3, 5 says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. See, it's the Holy Ghost of God that gives us new birth, and then he indwells us from the time of that new birth. Ephesians 1 tells us that we are sealed by the Spirit of God, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Romans 8 9 says that if any man hath not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16 tells us that the Spirit beareth witness, where it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, when the Bible says that he beareth witness to our spirit, it means that he bears joint witness or he corroborates by concurrent evidence. Now, to corroborate means to, to confirm. It's sort of like you hear some truth, and your spirit, your mind says, or your conscience says, you know, I think that's right. And then the Holy Spirit says also to you, if he's dwelling in you, yes, that is right. It's sort of like in a court of law, you have two witnesses, and their testimonies confirm each other. And when a person is born again and the Spirit of God takes up residence, there ought to be a corroboration that takes place in that life of that person that when you hear the truth, the Spirit of God also says to you, yes, that's right. Or you hear something that's wrong and you say, 
just doesn't sound right. And the Spirit of God says, that isn't right. There ought to be that bearing witness. And I believe that if you have it, you will know it. You will know it. But it can only be had when you come by repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, having, having the presence of the Spirit of God is a fundamental difference in the life of a person. One commentator said this, quote, It means that men are not identified by names or creeds or churches. They are identified by the presence and the possession of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is present among men, unquote. Again, John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comfort that he may abide with you forever. You know, it is the Holy Spirit of God who is the person that gives us a vital relationship to God. It is he that gives us this new life. Again, John 3, 5. Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have to know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. We have to have him bearing witness with our spirit. But it goes a little further than that, in that, in that we, we have to also allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. We have to let him be the director, quote unquote, in my life. Because we can quench him. And we can grieve him. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. Put away you know, wrath, malice, and all these things, uh, and clamor among you. And be ye kind one another, tenderhearted. You know, when we're angry and, and, and loud, clamorous, loud complaining, and, all, you know, and these kind of things, and malicious, we're grieving the Spirit of God. He's not leading us. If you notice in our text, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 11 it says, But all these worketh that one and selfsame Spirit. See, it it worketh the Spirit of God, and and the word worketh there means to affect, or has the idea of a power to produce results. If we're going to be used of the Lord to affect people, it will be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. See, we understand like Barak, who heard in Sunday school class this morning, that when the Lord fights for you, you just need to obey what the Lord says, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it means you put yourself in a vulnerable position. Because the Lord will fight for you. You see, we have to put ourselves under the control of the Spirit of God. And you know what our problem is? We don't like to let go of the reins, do we? I don't know about you, but I don't. I want to control my life. But I have learned. I'm not saying I've arrived, because I haven't. But I've learned that when I let God take care of it, it always turns out better than if I try to take control of it. Because God knows what he's doing. He knows the end from the beginning. And he's good. 
He's good. But see, we don't want to let go. We want to hang on. Because it requires of us trust. We're putting our trust in somebody else to take care of us. You see, if we're going to have, if we're going to be used of God and have gifts that bring glory and honor to Him, we have to be willing to put ourselves under submission to Him and trust Him. The Bible uses another word. It's yielded to. In John 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he went to the cross. He said this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. You see, it's the Spirit of God that gives gifts to men and women to edify His church. But He will not gift one who is not yielded. I mean, you can have natural talents, abilities, education, but unless you are yielded to the Spirit of God, one is not prepared for His use. Because you'll be only pulling in opposite directions. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. And with this I will close. Second Timothy 2 verse 19 through 21 says this. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Yet God's truth does not change. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. For man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet. The word meet means fit or qualified for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. See, the measure of our use is going to be determined by the measure of our yieldedness to the Spirit of God. You know, God will use us in spite of ourselves. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I, I, I'm just not where I should be, so God can't use me. No, that's not true. We've heard in Sunday school class this morning that God used Samson. He used Barak who didn't have complete faith, as he should have, but God used him anyway. Think about Jonah. Jonah was rebellious against God, but he preached to the Ninevites, and they repented, and he got mad about that. I mean, to, my, to me, that sounds so silly that you'd, you know, if I preached the whole city of Rollsville and, and, and the city repented, I, I should be rejoicing. He was mad about it. No, but but you know what? Jonah didn't enjoy the blessings of God because his attitude was wrong. So understanding spiritual gifts, we have to understand spiritual things. We have to 
understand the purpose of gifts. And we have to understand who presents those gifts and be yielded to him. You know, the question of you this morning for you is this. Do you have new life of the spirit? Does he bear witness with your spirit? Are you truly born again? And then secondly, are you yielded to him? Are you yielded to him? Or are you resisting him?